We come then to a time of confession and then, of course, the uh, following absolution where we are absolved of our sin. And uh, it's such a day and age when so many would want to uh, point fingers and accuse. And um, as someone uh, uh, very brilliant and close to me said, the only hope is Jesus Christ uh, in our world. And um, because, because Christianity, people are actually change. They transform. You want to change the world? I'm doing this job because I I think this is the only hope. And I think we're all Christians and that's our hope. So let's begin with this confession. And this one's a very inward one. And I'll try and go a little slow as you think through these various words here that you hear. I confess. I let go of my need for security and survival. Welcome. Come, Holy Spirit. Whom shall I fear? I let go of my need for approval and affection. Welcome. Come, Holy Spirit. Only you, Lord. I let go of my need for power and control. Welcome. Come, Holy Spirit. I bend my knee to you. And now we turn to probably the most soul-searching psalm of all the 150 psalms, the 139th psalm. And your part's in the bold face, and I'll do the other part. Oh, Lord, you search me and you know me. You yourself know my resting and my rising. You discern my thoughts from afar. You mark me when I walk or lie down. You know all my ways through and through. Before ever word is on my tongue, you know it, O Lord, through and through. Behind and before you besiege me, your hand ever laid upon me. Too wonderful for me, this knowledge, too high beyond my reach. O Lord, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your face? If I climb to the heavens, you are there. If I lie in the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn or dwell in the sea's furthest end, even there your hand would lead me. Your right hand would hold me fast. If I say, let the darkness hide me and the light around me uh, be night. Even darkness is not dark to you and night shall be as bright as day and darkness the same as the light. For it was you who formed my inmost being. Knit me together in my mother's womb. I thank you who wonderfully made me. How wonderful are your works, which my soul knows well. My frame is not hidden from you when I was being fashioned in secret and molded in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me yet unformed, and all my days are recorded in your book, formed before one of them came into being. Search me, O God, and know my heart. O test me. And know my thoughts. See that my path is not wicked. And lead me in the way everlasting. And now everyone let us rise and confess. Most merciful God. We confess that we have sinned against you. In thought and word and deed. By what we have done. And by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. 
We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy upon you and forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. And we all said, Amen. Pastor Garrett, have a seat, everyone. As Chris and Jen and uh, the others were leading us in the um, opening song, uh, We Follow None But Thee, I was reminded of the fact that at ancient times, leaders called themselves God. That was standard issue. Kings either said they were God, the Son of God, or put there by God. Um, Leaders don't do that anymore, but sometimes I think we've forgotten to stop treating them that way. That we follow God. That our leaders turn out to be just gals and just guys with a job, an important job, but they're just folk. Folk who need our prayer. Some of them we like an awful lot, so we are happy to pray for them, that they'll do well, they'll be protected. Some of them we don't like very much. They need our prayer all the more. And we need to pray for ourselves. What do we do with that dislike that we have in our heart? And how can we pray for them that they can become more like Christ Jesus so that every leader on earth becomes a reflection of God's rule on earth? So as we pray for our nation, we're going to pray for our leaders. Your part will be in bold, and I think on this one you'll go first. Let us pray. For the school boards and superintendents who care for our children, keep their vision alive. For mayors and city councils of communities in which we live, keep their hearts focused on service. For our state representative, Jonathan, and Sam, who represents us in Washington. For our state and U.S. Senators, Mike, Roy, and Josh, may you give them eyes to see and ears to hear. For our Governor Mike, strengthen him when he is discouraged, humble him when he is proud. And for our President Donald, may he obey you and lead our nation to peace and prosperity for all Americans. For them all we pray, Lord, first confessing that we have rarely prayed for them. Though they face confusion, turmoil, and dangers that age them before our very eyes. At times we've been very critical of them, though most of us understand very little of what goes on in their profession, just as few understand what really transpires in our profession. Strengthen these leaders for their calling. This morning, for all of these men and women, that you would teach them and teach us all that this is your world, given to us as a gift. And these leaders and each of us must, as bearers of your image, try to rule your world as you would rule it, for your purpose and in light of your goodness. Let's pray together. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer. Amen. Thanks, Garrett. That's great. Well, I, um, I bring you a reading that I feel is, a, you know, just imperative um, at this time in our culture. And uh, it's uh, from Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. 
and it's an excerpt from what's called the letter from a Birmingham jail, April 1963. And of course, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was in jail. Uh, Someone happened to bring him a notepad of paper and a pencil. And he was responding, uh, lo and behold, this is the interesting part, the letter in all of its fame was responding to pastors and rabbis uh, in the South who were telling Martin to wait and give the system time and, and justice will come to uh, blacks. And, um, and it, I just give you a little bit, uh, just about this much of the letter. Uh, it's actually quite long. And, uh, and what you'll hear as I read it to you, you'll hear the voice of a father talking about his children. And you'll hear the voice of someone who's exasperated and no longer wants to wait and uh, responding to that. And, um, and just so you know, as you run across Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his writings and speeches and videos and so forth, keep in mind, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's brilliance was that he did not make the race issue one of black versus white, although that's certainly a part of it. What he did was he made it about equal versus unequal. And he quotes the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, always about the equality of people and not just a black versus white. And that was his brilliance and why he got so much done in the 1960s before his untimely death. So let me read this to you and see if you can't pick up what's going on here. And of course, uh, I'll only try and do a smidge of justice to uh, his brilliant preaching and his voice. For years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. We have waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving with jet-like speed toward gaining political independence. But we still creep at horse and buggy pace toward gaining a cup of coffee at a lunch counter. Perhaps it's easy for those who have never felt the stinging dark of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen the vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim when you have seen the hate-filled policemen curse and kick and even kill your black brothers and sisters when you have seen the vast majority of your 20 million negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she cannot go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that Funtown is closed to colored children and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing unconscious bitterness towards white people 
when you have to concoct an answer for your five-year-old son who is asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep in the, in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel, motel will accept you. When you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs that read white and colored. When your first name becomes the N-word, and it's not the N-word written here. Your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John. When your wife and mother are never given the respectful title of Mrs., when you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, when you are plagued with the inner fears and outer resentments, when you go forever fighting a denigrating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate, unavoidable impatience. And now with prayers for our nation's healing, I ask Pastor Marta to come and lead us in the prayers that she wrote. Hi, everyone. Um, So I, I invite you to join me in this prayer of healing. I have a couple of prayers, one for our nation and um, systemic racism, and then we'll follow that with the one for COVID and those who are um, ill, sick, or struggling to stay healthy. So first, we'll start with a prayer for the nation's healing. We confess that we are often blind to our own privilege. Give us a holy curiosity about what being black in America is really like and what it means to suffer injustice because of race. We confess that we are often blind to the subtle ways that race has shaped our hearts and our minds. Open our eyes, O Lord, and teach us to see the truth about ourselves and our world. We confess we have not always been on the side of the right. Free us from our cherished notions of being good that keep us from hearing this truth. Forgive us our silence and insensitive speech. Forgive our fearfulness and our willful blindness. We draw to mind the victims of racial discrimination and their families that they may be filled with hope for a more just future. We draw to mind those who have died due to racism and racial violence. We draw to mind those who work for racial justice, that they may be sustained in hope, empowered with courage, and filled with grace to persevere in love. Give us the eyes of Christ to see ourselves and the world around us with humility and compassion, healing our own wounds and the wounds of others. Give us courage to advocate for change and for peace 
and the grace to overcome hatred with love. God of justice, in your wisdom, you create all people in your image without exception. Through your goodness, open our eyes to see the dignity, beauty, and worth of every human being. Open our eyes and our hearts to repent of racist attitudes, behaviors, and speech which demean others. Open our ears to hear the cries of those wounded by racial discrimination and their passionate appeals for change. Strengthen our resolve to make amends for past injustices and to right the wrongs of history. In fervent hope that the arc of history does indeed bend toward justice, we lift up our prayers for healing in the country, asking that you would bind our hearts together as a church, teach us to love one another and the world around us for your sake, and fill us with courage that we might seek to heal wounds, build bridges, forgive and be forgiven, establish peace and equality for all in our communities. Amen. So this next prayer is for the healing, the physical healing of those in our community and those in our country who are suffering now. You might want to bring to mind someone that you know that is struggling, that's immunocompromised, people who are ill with COVID or other illnesses that really make it hard for them to get out. Oh Lord, many are suffering beyond what they can bear. Please come quickly with help that is stronger than death. You are the God of all comfort. Draw near to us. Allow us to give comfort to others who are ill. You see those who are vulnerable, those who are sick with COVID, and many other chronic and serious illnesses and poor immune systems. We lift them up by name. If you'd like to lift someone up by name now, you can say that out loud. We are grateful, Lord, for the caregivers, doctors, nurses, hospice workers, first responders, scientists, and specialists. Strengthen and support them as they work and endure for our sake. Lord, hear our prayer. So this year to pray for our nation is a hard prayer. A lot of hard prayers. It's hard times. We all sense it. I've had hard days and hard months and a hard year or two just praying for our own household. Sometimes when I pray those hard prayers, I'm surprised how often they'll end in praise. You know, if I really put the time in, if I take the walk around the block or through the woods, I'm surprised how it will start out hard but then end praising God. I think sometimes it's because It's just nice to know that someone is listening. And when you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, you realize someone is actually listening to you. And when you pray those prayers begging for change, you might go into it thinking you're hurling them up on the desk of some bureaucrat in heaven who might stamp it and might not. But then you realize that's not how God is at all. And when you pray those good prayers for change, you sense the Holy Spirit saying, yes, 
It's also my will that that change happen. And that just, it just makes you spring out in praise. And I started noticing in the Psalms, how often in our scriptures, the prayers will be just like what we've prayed here. Why do the nations rage? Why is there suffering? But then they end in praise. So I guess it's been going on a long time. So why don't we go to Psalm 46 and let us end in praise. Let us stand together because God has heard our prayers. And they're good prayers. And these prayers for change and for healing, the Holy Spirit says yes, yes to those. So let us pray Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. We will not fear when earthquakes come. Let the oceans roar and foam. A river brings joy to the city of our God. God dwells in that city. From the very break of day, the nations are in chaos. God's voice thunders. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. Amen.